Welcome back to Empowered Rx. We are the mentorship program that helps young girls and women who have had their lives disrupted by disordered eating to reclaim their health, step into their power, and to find food and fitness freedom for life. My name is Leah. I am the owner and founder of Empowered Rx. And you may have noticed we've taken a couple week break as we reset and decompress from the summer and get ready to have an amazing fall. This episode comes by request from many of our college listeners. We have many freshmen in our program who are saying that comparison is becoming an issue more and more with each passing day on campus. Now we know college life is a time of transition and we know that it's fraught with comparison, partying, and a lot of social pressures on top of relentless academic pressures. All of these things are a normal part of the college experience, but they shouldn't be. And it just goes to show us how deeply immersed our campuses are in diet culture. Now, I feel like I'm going to age myself a little bit, but back when I was in college, ooh, that was a while ago, um, back when I was in college, I remember the pressures to fit in being hard, but we didn't have Instagram. We didn't have constant interaction via social media, and we didn't have live updates going on Be Real or Snapchat. So I can only imagine the immense pressure to fit in when everybody is broadcasting their lives on a near momentary basis. Something from my college days that persists into today's culture is the frequency of diets and the amount of disordered eating that we see on campus. If you walk into the cafeteria on any given day, you'll likely see both males and females skipping meals or hardly touching the food that they have in front of them. At some point, we start to ask, are these people eating privately? Do I not see them eating? Why aren't they eating? Why am I the only one eating three meals, two snacks a day? Disordered eating has become so normalized that if we are an eating disorder warrior in recovery, we can feel like we stick out like a sore thumb amongst our peers who maybe diet who engage in trading calories for beers on the weekend, who maybe skip meals or sleep in through breakfast. None of these things are possible in recovery because these would lead to a relapse. So for our college girls who are in recovery, just know that I see you and I understand how hard it is today in college to have recovery be successful and to navigate college in all its complexities. Now, I'm a recovery warrior myself. I've been in recovery, well, I've been working on it for almost 15 years. And I have to say that I think comparing ourselves to other people is human nature. When it becomes something more than that is when it becomes a self-destructive coping mechanism, when we use comparison to judge our self-worth. I might be able to look at someone and say, oh, I like that outfit. But if I put myself down in an attempt to make myself feel like I need to change just by noticing somebody else's outfit, that is when comparison is something that can spiral into a relapse. Now we all know the old saying that comparison is the thief of joy, yada, yada, yada. We know this, it doesn't do us any good to compare. But for a lot of the women who are in eating disorder recovery, we tend to have competitive type A personality traits. And these are something that predisposes us to having disordered eating. 
these type A traits might make us feel like competition makes us a better person. In fact, I used to say that comparison helped me to work harder. It helped fuel my desire to be better. And while this was healthy, it led to unhealthy behaviors. So we always have to look at both the journey, the means to the end, and then the end result. If any of them are unhealthy along the way, we know that there is trouble ahead. It's important to pay attention to these red flags and really, really advocate yourself to your therapist or to your recovery coach before it becomes a deep spiral that is hard to get out of. When I'm having a bad day on the recovery front, my eating disorder is super ready to just jump right in and compare myself to others. Regardless of who it may be, it's an attempt to break myself down and highlight my weaknesses. Comparison is usually never anything that results in something good. And it usually comes from a deep-rooted belief that we are lacking. We need to be able to stop comparison in recovery, but it's not that easy. If we don't, we risk throwing away our recovery altogether. Comparison can be such a destructive inhibitor to true recovery from an eating disorder. Black and white thinking, perfectionism, they're such common threats for those of us who have this illness. And when I feel like I'm not good enough, I always end up having this thing in the back of my mind that leads to ideas of restriction or self-sabotage because there is some comfort there from my disordered eating that reminds me that I am in control. But this is a false sense of control and we know this. If you're an eating disorder recovery warrior, especially in our Empowered program, we work a lot on locus of control and reframing how we can control our lives in healthier and more productive ways. So this podcast is dedicated to our college girlies in our Empowered program. I'm not gonna say any names, but I'm giving you guys a shout out. I'm so proud of you for all that you've already overcome and just know that we see your effort and that we know you are capable of excelling and reaching your goals. The reality of the situation is that we're all recovering at our own paces, in our own ways, and with our own unique bodies. When we start to compare, it comes from the realm or the idea that our bodies or our lives are the same, which is a diet culture, cookie cutter, reductionist viewpoint. If you think about all the different people you know, all their backgrounds, all their lifestyle habits and their genetics, there is no way that we can actually compare because that's like comparing apples and oranges. We are all just so drastically different from one another. But when we get into the small bubble of college life, we start to see only people our own age. And so we start to really, really become isolated in this idea that what we see in front of us is all that exists. We forget about the world outside. And then we start to believe that diet culture is the only way because of how prevalent it is on college campuses. So I'm gonna go over five things that we really need to consider when comparison comes into play. I know that comparison is an impulsive um, mechanism in the brain that we can't always help, but we can intervene and we can redirect. And so that's what this podcast is all about. The first thing I wanna talk about is social media, the highlight reels, the good moments, the competition, the social status, all of it. Our social media tools capture brief moments in time, and typically we're seeing everybody's best moments. 
we scroll and we scroll and we scroll, some of us for hours a day, and we see all of our friends or our acquaintances having fun, doing great things, seeming like they're making friends, seeming like college is easy. But I can tell you that I see these images too, but the stories I hear from these individuals paint a different picture, one that is not so cheery. We tend to hide those negative moments. Life is filled with up and downs, but we only see the positives for the most part on social media. The more time we spend on social media, the more normalized it becomes to see this happiness. And so then when we aren't happy, we think we're lacking even more. We get upset about lacking and then we feel like we're not good enough. And we start to compare and we compare over and over and over again. We have one recovery warrior in particular who says that they spend hours a day on Instagram comparing their body to other girls and thinking that they need to shrink theirs. We have no idea what these girls are doing when it comes to fueling their bodies. Many of them could be on intense diets. Many of them could be promoting other destructive behaviors, or we don't know about their genetics or anything else about their life. We can't judge a book by its cover, but that's what Instagram and social media is all about, judgment and social status. So if you tend to spend a lot of time on social media, I'm going to recommend that you head to your phone and you put a limit on those apps. Not only is it going to help you with your mental health, but it's going to free up time for you to devote to academics and more productive interactions that are in person, more authentic, and more genuine. The sad reality is that many of our warriors state that they feel like they don't even know who they are. They spent so long trying to keep up with social media trends and comparison that they really lost touch with who they truly were. And so my next tip is going to be that you embrace your inner child. I want you to think about a time when you were maybe between the ages of five and 10 years old. What were you like? What did you like to do? What made you passionate? What made you upset? What made you angry? What did you love? What did you hate? What were your favorite foods? What were your favorite sports? What were your favorite games? What were your favorite songs? When we are children, we are so much less aware of the world outside of us and we have this kind of innate joy that comes out. Now, I know many of us are trauma survivors, so I'm not going to assume that all of us have had a joyful childhood, but I want you to think about the things that maybe were in your world when you were young. Where did those go? A lot of times we realize that we've ditched honoring ourselves and, and doing the things that light our spirit up in order to go along with the status quo. I'm going to recommend that you pick up a hobby or a practice that used to bring you joy back in your childhood. It could be drawing or painting or maybe reading a book, walking outside or playing a sport, something that you don't do anymore that maybe you gave up so that you had more time for those social uh, media pressures or, or comparisons. The next thing is going to be about working out on campus. I have all my recovery workers who are in our Empowered Strength programming and they lift weights um, and they focus on getting stronger in both mind, body, and spirit. We have programming that they can take and access right from their phone in their own gyms on campus. But some of the things that we're hearing and getting reported back to us are quite concerning. Many of the girls have said 
that their gym is filled with cardio machines and women who are on them for hours at a time. It makes them feel pressured to do that as well. Cardio is something that is perceived to be a fat burning or a body changing mode of exercise. The thing about cardio is, is that this couldn't be further from the truth. Cardio actually works our aerobic system and it makes us really, really efficient. Our bodies end up adapting and it takes more and more work to end up seeing a change in our body. And this is where exercise addiction become highly prevalent on campuses. The most common eating disorder is binge eating disorder. 55% of those who identify as having disordered eating struggle with binging. As we move closer to the college demographic and onto campuses, we see this shift. Not only do we see binging behavior, but we also see purging in the form of exercise, laxatives, or throwing up and vomiting. Now, I know what you're thinking, wait, exercise is purging? How do we differentiate a healthy amount of exercise versus an unhealthy amount that might be classified as exercise bulimia? Now, exercise bulimia is a term that many people don't even know exists. For people who have exercise tendencies that have to do with compensation for food or burning off calories specifically, we can see this as a form of purging, purging the calories and the food that we've eaten. Many people end up starting an exercise routine and thinking, oh, I'll just do a little bit more. I'll do a little bit more. And all of a sudden we're doing more and more and more. And it releases chemicals that make this addictive, such as norepinephrine and adrenaline. Our brain becomes out of whack from a biochemical perspective. Our serotonin is low. These are the feel-good, happy hormones, and our dopamine is low. So we actually have our reward system, which you know releases dopamine and serotonin, that is triggered when we engage in eating disorder behaviors. When we add in something like exercise that also releases these feel-good hormones, it can be addictive like a drug. I myself was an exercise addict. I had no idea that my overexercise was considered to be a form of bulimia until years later. I always wore it like a badge of honor. Oh, I don't purge. I don't purge. Well, I did. I just didn't do it through my mouth. I did it through burning calories and through movement. Many of us will find that we constantly pace or can't sit still. We might try to work out in our dorm rooms. Many of us have had exercise off limits in recovery, and the traditional recovery process deems exercise off limits until we're released and sent back into the environment we came from. This is a disaster, especially when we go off on our own to college. Our recovery warriors are exposed in a graded exercise model that is prepared based off of exercise physiology parameters and illness. I'm an exercise physiologist and I do all the programming for our girls who are slowly, slowly, slowly exposed to strength training and flexibility training until their body is repaired and able to handle cardio on both a mental and physical basis. When we go off to college and are on our own, if we have been in traditional treatment, we have not been exercising. We are thrown all of a sudden into an independent and stressful world where we're trying to make sense of everything. Diet culture is pervasive and everywhere, and it's super easy to all of a sudden use exercise to handle the stress of school, academics, social issues, and eating disorder thoughts. 76% of women who enter college with a history of disordered eating will relapse within the first semester. This is truly devastating. 
and something I believe to be a systemic issue. Colleges need to do better about creating a more healthy environment free from diet culture on campuses. Calories don't need to be listed on every single meal. Nutritionists should be made available to every single person, right? Not just people who are sick. We need to have lectures and informative events that let people know about these things. It is not enough to just have resources on campuses such as pamphlets or a bulletin board during Eating Disorder Recovery Awareness Month. It's just simply not enough. We need to have facilitators who are on campus specifically for this epidemic. One out of three women will end up with an eating disorder in college. This is wild. And so this brings me to our next subject, which is finding balance. How does one find balance in college? I remember the first week on college campus was just crazy. I was trying to meet new friends. I was in a completely different state across the United States away from my house. I was dealing with a little bit of homesickness, anxiety, a little bit of depression, eating disorder recovery, trying to figure out where all my classes were, the stress of academics. It was so much. Add in all of the comparison and the self-doubt and the lack of confidence, and I was set up for failure. It took finding balance for me to truly achieve solid footing in recovery. I found that balancing my stress was imperative. Yoga, meditation, these things were things I discovered on campus and integrated into my daily routine. And I really, really believe that yoga played a crucial part in maintaining recovery in my college years. The spiritual component to yoga allows us to connect our mind to our body. Many of us in recovery know that disassociation or that disconnect between mind and body is something extremely common. For those of us who are perfectionists, yoga teaches us to let go and let our body just be as it naturally is. These kinds of things are important. When we go into a gym and we see people staring at themselves in front of the mirror doing tons of bicep curls, or we see women on the Stairmaster for hours at a time, it can become something we think we should be doing. When we do things like yoga, meditation, or stress management, we really tap into our true nature and discover what it is that are our own goals that are separate from the world outside of us. This oneness is extremely important in establishing self-esteem and building up our self-worth. Yoga also nourishes the mind and the body and the spirit. They recommend that we take care of ourselves, that we honor our hunger in both desire and physical appetite. Yoga is something that really challenges us to find that balance, both literally and figuratively. And so my tip for finding balance is to integrate some sort of mindfulness practice. Now I know meditation is super, super hard, especially for us maybe eating disorder warriors who have anxiety or have a hard time sitting still. And this is why as long as we are eating enough Um, Yoga can be an extremely helpful tool because we are moving our body actively. We are getting our heart rate up. We are sweating, but we are practicing stillness at the same time. The next tip that I want to go over is on taking care of our body. So college is, like I said, this balancing game. How do we maximize our social life? How do we maximize our academics? 
a lot of us end up sacrificing our basic needs such as food, sleep, and self-care. I remember I don't remember doing self-care for the first month of school at all. And a lot of our recovery warriors who are coming up on their second and third weeks at school are now hitting a wall. Their social batteries are on empty. They haven't been sleeping enough each night and they're unable to focus in their first week of classes. This is not only setting them up for a struggle, but it's also creating a hole that they then have to dig out of. So sleep is cumulative. Um, so is food in our nutrient landscape. So the more deficient we become in nutrients, the harder it is to play catch up. The more deficient we become in sleep, the harder it is to play catch up. Getting in sleep debt and food debt puts us in a state, um, a compromised state of health that leads to heightened anxiety, heightened depression, lower focus, lower motivation levels, and it sets us up to do more poorly with managing stress of academics and social life. Taking care of your body is going to be one of the most important things you can do, but also taking care of your mental health. Recovery can be a drag, and I know we get super, super fatigued, but the reality is is that we are in recovery. We have to own it, which is my last step. Owning our recovery means, yep, I have an eating disorder. Letting your friends know about it so that you're not trying to play two different lives. Hiding ourselves creates shame. Having to eat in secret creates shame. Having to attend therapy calls or meetings in secret creates shame. It creates a disconnect so that we have our recovery life and then we have our college life. We have to merge the two or recovery is going to be put on the back burner. I know that this is really, really hard and it's scary because as we meet new people, we leave ourselves vulnerable to be rejected. Many of us have this innate sense of shame around our eating disorder because of the stigma that's attached to it. We feel broken, we feel inadequate, and we already feel like that to begin with by having an eating disorder and just living with one every single day. So once we add the social implications into this picture, it can get even more complicated. But owning it and being our most authentic selves is going to allow us to meet people that we truly connect with. These people will be more understanding, more authentic, more genuine, more caring, and probably make for better friends in the long run anyways. Now, I am going to add in a sixth step here. I know it doesn't apply to everybody, so I wanted to make sure I got a solid five that everybody could relate to before I went on to this. This sixth one is going to be about partying. Uh, Let's just be real. We're going to call it like it is. I know that college life is filled with new experiences. I remember having the freedom to have guys in my room and to drink in the dorms and to go to parties and have all these new experiences. All of a sudden, we go from living with our parents to graduating and moving out onto our own turf where we make our own rules. The new freedom can be really, really challenging to navigate and many of us will go overboard. If we end up interested in the drinking or the party scene, many of us fall into habits that set us up for relapse. And these are cumulative. So it might be fine in the beginning, but let's look at six months out or maybe a year later if we kept these habits strong. What could happen? A lot of us will end up socializing with people who trade calories for alcohol in an attempt to avoid the myth of the freshman 15 which is something that is talked about incessantly on campus. 
if we are avoiding food in an attempt to cancel out alcohol calories, not only are we entering disordered eating territory, but we're also setting ourselves up for higher risks with sexual violence, with accidents, and with drinking uh, issues, basically. Without food in our stomachs, we lower our alcohol tolerance and it makes us maybe have a heightened state of inebriation. The symptoms will be worse, we'll feel more disoriented, the hangovers will be worse, we'll be a little bit more uninhibited with our actions and our choices. Peer pressure, in addition to this, uh, can make it really, really hard to navigate. And with sexual violence being so prevalent on campus, about one in five women will experience sexual violence in their college years. Um, it, it creates almost a vicious cycle where we feel degraded and objectified and that can exacerbate our body image and our eating disorder symptoms. So again, this is a topic that should be talked about more on college campuses. I teach a self-defense class specifically for college women. We don't learn these complex, uh, you know, form things that are going to take you months and months to practice. We learn really, really quick, easy, memorable, effective tools that a woman can use on any man of any size. Gouging out an eyeball, how to um, use a pressure point, um, how to get out of a situation and use our voice. These are things that need to be taught to every single woman on campus. And I'm going to go on a tangent here. It really pisses me off. I just found out that um, carrying pepper spray is actually illegal and considered a weapon. So if a woman is caught with it, um, they can actually be criminalized, which I think is just complete bullshit, bogus, and it perpetuates the issue of sexual violence on campus. And if any campus says that that's not an issue, that's just a bunch of lies. Um, anyways, I digress. So with alcohol uh, in the party scene, we see all of these complex issues kind of come together and the composite of them leads to a destruction of self-worth. It leads to isolation, heightened anxiety, depression, a motivation and it can lead to really just kind of losing our sense of self which we've already fought so hard to find during our recovery process so my biggest advice is to choose friends who you can yes have parties with eventually or every now and then with but have other activities that you can do with your friends too if you find that you're just partying with people and that's the extent of your social time I want you to step back and, and think about what this is providing to your life. Is it adding or detracting from your recovery? Is it adding or detracting from your schoolwork? Is it adding or detracting from your quality of life? Many of the women in our program are extremely sensitive, nurturing, amazing human beings. They have a heart of gold and many of them are reporting that they feel like they don't fit into the party scene but they feel pressured to engage in it because that's what everybody is doing. I so hate this about college campuses and I really think that if the peer pressure wasn't there, I myself wouldn't have partied as much as I did. But the reality was is that I succumbed to the pressure because it was everywhere. And if I wasn't going to be engaging in the party scene, I found myself having a harder time finding people to hang out with. And that is a shame. So clubs on campus are a great and effective way to meet people who have other interests in common with you outside from drinking. I know one of our empowered warriors just went to a club fair at their school that had over 500 clubs. 
that's crazy. That might seem like club over overload, right? How do we even decide? But take your time, drop in, go to events on campus, find a friend that has something in common with you past partying. And as it comes to friendships, I wanna talk about one last thing. I know I keep adding things on, but they keep coming up in my mind and I'm gonna keep going. This is really important. Because eating disorders are so prevalent in the college age demographic, many of our empowered recovery warriors are stating that they're meeting other girls who are also in recovery. This has been something that is super, super exciting at first, and it's a great way to feel seen, heard, have accountability and support right on campus. Where this becomes dangerous is when we both start to spiral or practice disordered eating. It can become something that is self-destructive and codependent. If we are relying on another person to uphold our recovery or our behaviors, then as soon as one of the people we know lapses, we're likely to lapse as well. So if you are meeting people who are also disordered eating warriors, that is an amazing connection to have. But I would make sure that you inform your therapist or your coach so that they can check in and make sure that that relationship is nurturing and not destructive. As we go into the semester, we're going to be seeing more episodes on these college topics. I'm going to dive into each and every single one of them. Um, Next month, we'll be talking about a college episode with regards to social media comparison and wearing clothes um, that maybe we don't feel as comfortable in. I know a lot of us feel like we have to wear crop tops and, and revealing clothes in college to fit in, and this can exacerbate our body image issues. So keep an eye out in October. We're going to be doing a college episode specifically on body image, um, social media, and peer pressure. And in the upcoming weeks, you're going to see an episode drop every single week as we are in season three. Um, But once a month, there will be a college featured episode. So thank you so much for tuning in. Sorry if this episode was a little bit all over the place. I am working closely with all of our college girls all throughout the day to help them maintain their recovery. So it it is a heated subject for me as I am really passionate about seeing them find success. So if you are struggling and this episode resonated with you, give us a review, comment below, email me. My email is leah at empoweredrx.org. You do not need to be enrolled in our program to seek some form of support. We have free Facebook groups. We've got blog posts and newsletters and articles and free workbooks that we send out all the time. If you are interested in joining our program, we have a couple of spots that are opening up at the end of this month with our new grads. So you can email me at leah at empoweredrx.org or just shoot me a message on Instagram. Make sure you go on Instagram and follow us at empoweredrx. It's really important that you start to have accounts that promote healthy, body positive, and um, anti-disordered eating material, especially if you're going to be immersed more and more into social media that promotes disordered eating. So that's all for today, you guys. I am so proud of each and every one of you. Keep up the fight and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Empowered Rx. If you want to find us for more information or to understand more about our services, you can find us on Instagram at EmpoweredRx, or you can join our free Facebook community filled with women who are all trying to get healthy and happy. To find that community, simply go to Facebook and search for the EmpoweredRx community. 
Have a great day, you guys, and stay well.